0: Five years? Okay. Five years of fifth grade. Good evening, everybody. Hi, Drew. (sighs) Now I know how great he feels when he says... Or Ashley, take a minute to uh, introduce yourselves. <laughs> it's okay. I still, I'm still a couple minutes ahead. Hi, everybody. Well, Grady said he he was going to get around to it today, but uh, yes, I realized uh, I kind of said something about CJ talking a few weeks ago about trying to get this all into 30 minutes or less, and that was kind of said in jest. There's no way to teach about God's love in 30 minutes or less. So I'm going to try to teach a little bit about the attribute of God's love in 30 minutes or less. So I'm Dave, Dave O'Meara. Some of you know me, some of you don't. I'm the chairman of the deacons, and you'll be hearing more from the deacons and Grady, and our leadership over the next few weeks, because deacon elections will be coming up starting the process in october, and uh, we 're really hoping to make um, <clears throat> to bring some more people into the deacon service. I think it 's very important, and uh, it 's been a joy and a blessing for me to lead the deacons and there's several of several deacons here tonight, and uh, several of our elders and the people are out serving and uh, it is a blessing to be part of the leadership team of this church. Um, it is really a true blessing. So let's pray for a second, and, uh, and then, we'll, then we'll start into the lesson. Father God, I just I pray for the power of your Holy Spirit to guide the hearts and minds of those that are watching around us, watching how the church responds to crisis in every form and shape, whether it's in Texas or Florida, on the street next to this church, in a family, in this fellowship. Holy Spirit, please help us deal with these things. Please lead out for us. Please guide us as we share these words tonight. Lord, only through your love do we have an opportunity to love and worship your Son. We thank you for his sacrifice on the cross. We pray that you would guide our time together tonight as we, as we look at your word. We pray in Christ's name again. So I was trying to figure out how to talk about love. And I, it's over 500 times in, the, in most modern Bibles the word love is used. And I, I, I didn't know where to start. Lord is the, is the most used word. So <clears throat> I thought about a wedding I went to. In 1 Corinthians 13, the love verse, it says, Love is patient and kind, does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. We were at a wedding, and in the, in the, there was a rent-a-preacher. There was not a Christian wedding, but they hired a preacher. He started talking, saying those verses like preachers often do. And he stopped. And he said, I'd be be wrong not to do this. But these verses really aren't talking about marriage. These verses are talking about Jesus. These verses are trying to describe the love Christ has. Christ's love is patient and kind. God's love does not envy. God's love does not take numbers or countenance. It's not arrogant or rude. It doesn't insist on its own way. Think about this in terms of Christ. Because when we get down to John, 1 John 4, we're gonna see John simply says, God is love. And that is that is powerful because there's so many attributes. You know, I was reading and I, I, I really didn't know where to go or how to start, so I just started collecting love stuff over the last four weeks. Recently I read uh, uh, Dr. Martin Luther King's letter from the Birmingham Jail and I read it again and part, it's it's awesome what he wrote but uh, one of the things he wrote was was not Jesus an extremist in love? Love your enemies, bless them that curse you, pray for them that despitefully use you. Wow. He was talking about love who's trying to teach people about love. You know, he says, hey, look what Jesus says. Jesus was an extremist in love. And then I got some of those books that Grady uses, and I have to admit that um, Grady, that's why Grady went to school so long, because he knows about all those books, but uh, they're incredible. First off, I mean, I I wish I had more of them to take with me, but uh, um, so uh, Wayne Grudem uh, um, has a book that we've quoted often. He says, it is God's nature to act that way towards those upon whom who he has set his love it is God's nature to act that way, act in love towards those upon whom he has set his love, and he will continue to act that way toward us for all eternity. You know, as we talk about the attributes of God, as we think about the review, uh, you know, for a review for a second, and and this is where it helps to have a little color thing so we can understand the breaks. Um, you have to consider this, and I've been thinking a lot about these attributes within the, the context of the teaching we had on the Trinity a few months ago, the book of John that we've been just just digging into, <clears throat> and then the many of the attributes of God that describe the fullness of God. It's incredible. It's, it's, it's just beyond comprehension. And it validates, to me, the need we have for Christ And what we need through the power of the Holy Spirit to even try to comprehend it. How do we put these all together? I mean, we're we're moving into these ideas of, excuse me, communicable attributes: goodness, holiness, love, righteousness, mercy, and patience, etc. More and more that we'll look at. We've looked at ones that are non-communicable. You know, his his breath, his knowledge, his power, his omnipresence—all those things that we've talked about in the past. How do we package that up in something we can understand? And I hate to give the Sunday school answer, but, you know, if Carmen was here, he'd have, he'd, he, we, he, up in Christ, you know, he gives us that. And even then, you know, Jesus, he, he says, look, look, y'all, he was from Southern Galilee. Said, Jesus said, look, I have to go away because unless I go away, you're not going to have the Holy Spirit to teach you these things. The comforter has to come. Think about that. You know, so when we're thinking about all these, these attributes that, that we're supposed to display, okay, we can't do it. I mean, no matter how hard I try, and my wife can testify to this mightily, that um, I can't do this on my own, okay? I have to look at God's goodness uh, through the lens of uh, the Holy Spirit. I have to allow the Holy Spirit to show me that, okay? So that's what I pray tonight, that the Holy Spirit would do that. And, you know, even, even Wayne got a little confused because he, he didn't know what to say here. He says, "All or excuse me, are God's goodness and love two attributes or one? You know, we can't distinguish them sometimes. You know, if God is love, love is God, and now pretty soon I'm taking logic class and, and not getting a very good grade. So from my perspective, all these attributes present the fullness, completeness of God okay, and that he is all these things as he reflects himself through Christ with the strength of the Holy Spirit, so that's where we're, that's the review, and God is love, so now moving on, (laughs) what does it mean to say God is love, and how do we even define love, so I tried to break in some categories, uh, of bringing in the verses, and like I said, there's over 500 of them, so we'll do 499 tonight, um. Dr. King distinguished between three kinds of love. I found this; it's, it's, in, it's in a lot of theology books. But there's eros, a sort of uh, aesthetic or romantic love; philia, brother, brotherly love, and agape, okay, which he describes as understanding, redeeming, goodwill for all, an overflowing of love which is purely spontaneous, unmotivated, groundless, and creative. The love of God operating in the human heart. He said that agape does not begin by discriminating between worthy or, and unworthy people. Whoa. It begins by loving others for their sakes. For God so loved the world. He didn't say, oh, God so loved Montgomery, Alabama, or Boston, or India, child India where our Indian children live. He said the world. It began by loving others for their sake. It makes no distinction between a friend and an enemy. It is directed towards both. We had a sermon this week uh, up in, Mon- in Lexington, Kentucky. And uh, it was pretty powerful because the, the pastor was very clear about if you're saved, you're saved. If you're a follower of Christ, you're a follower of Christ. And you, your background is put aside. And he mentioned a couple of mass murderers in there who converted to Christianity. He said, it's a tough thing for us to absorb, but uh, it's directed towards both. Love is seeking to preserve and create community, seeking to build the fellowship. So Wayne says, God's love means that God eternally gives of himself to others. And as I said before, and I'll say it again, God is love. So we could stop there, I would imagine, and we'd be good, and we'd done half an hour early. But we'll go on. So, Galatians 5, 13 and 14. For you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. I want you to think a little bit about this idea of the law in contrast to love. You know, it's been preached. John talked about it all the time. We've had sermons about it in John where <clears throat> the Pharisees created a barrier between love and people through the law. There was nothing in the law intended by God to separate people from him. It was a way to bring people to him. Come to Jerusalem. Come worship me in Jerusalem. I'll be there in the temple. But we create these laws you have to sacrifice this. He made, he made the laws, but we corrupted the laws. You have to do this and X and Y. And come to the inner temple and buy doves and change money. And we saw how Jesus felt about that. So, he's simply saying, think about the law and it's fulfilled in keeping one command. And we're going to hear this over and over again. Love your neighbor as yourself in Galatians five twenty two and 23. For the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We talk about this verse a lot. What's the fruit of the Spirit? You'll know someone by their fruits. I want to take a little, just a little deeper when you think about this idea of love and say, it's a relationship with the Spirit. The relationship The fruit of the relationship, it doesn't say those exact words, but it's your abiding in the spirit. Your relationship with the spirit bears fruit through these things. You know, we get lists all the time in the Bibles, you know, we get some, talks about all the bad things, you know, sexual immorality and rudeness of judgment and anger and things you say and all those other things, and you get good lists too. But the lists have to be founded on something. So if you're in relationship with the Spirit, and, and through that relationship, you're in relationship with Christ, then there's love and joy and peace and forbearance. J.J. Pack, is it J.J. or J.I.? Yeah. J.I., sorry. Watch this, I'll figure that out right now. <laughs> oh, there it is. <laughs> when we looked at God's wisdom, this, I, to quote a famous associate pastor at Gateway, Oh, I love this verse. (laughs) No, I love this. When we looked at God's wisdom, we saw something of his mind. When we thought of his power, now put this in the context of attributes. Attributes. (laughs) We saw something of his hand and arm. When we considered his word, we learned about his mouth. But now, contemplating his love, we are to look into his heart. We shall stand on holy ground we need the grace of reverence that we may tread without sin. You know, when we talk about holy ground, you know, your mind goes to Moses confronting God, or the Transfiguration uh, when Jesus was enveloped in light, or his baptism. You know, for you're standing on holy ground. You know, God's presence was there, and uh, Packer says we need to tread lightly. Think about that when we take communion. He's asking us as you, as you come to God's presence through the, through the act of communion with him, you know, tread lightly with sin. Because you need to be thinking about that. And that's the Holy Spirit's job to take us through that. And it's Christ's job to forgive us because of his work on the cross. So how does God express his love? All right. Love does not delight in evil but rejoices in the truth. Well, God is love. God is truth. God is goodness. God is mercy. So, the truth, and we see that theme throughout the Bible. But love does not delight in evil, and we'll talk a little bit more about evil later. Psalm says, "The Lord is compassionate and gracious, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love." This one is, was a little challenge for me because I wasn't sure. You know, if you read the Old Testament enough, um, God got angry. <laughs> but he also was slow to anger. And I, I think about, you know, Moses negotiating with God. You know, Christ interceding as a mediator. This concept is out there. He's slow to anger. Christ is a mediator for us through the Holy Spirit. So he does, he is slow to anger. Even though we know his anger and judgment are, are swift, but he's, he's compassionate. and He's abounding in love. He is love. Psalm 67.1, May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. I, I, I saw this one and it made me think about this idea of reflecting God. And we'll talk a little bit more about these, these attributes that we're supposed to reflect out. We're supposed to show these to people. Okay, so how do we do it? Well, his face is going to shine upon us. So how do we take and allow our face to shine Christ back to others? This made me think about Moses in the veil. You know, he's been exposed to God, and he had to cover his face because God's holiness was, was beyond what people could see. Wouldn't that be incredible if our reflection of Christ was beyond what people could see or stand? I mean, think about how evil reacts to that. It's pretty crazy. In Isaiah sixteen five, Then a throne will be established in steadfast love, and on it will sit in faithfulness in the tent of David, one who judges and seeks justice and is swift to do righteousness. Anybody know what Isaiah is? You, you can answer. It's allowed. <laughs> what Isaiah talking about there. And the throne will be established in steadfast love, and on it will sit in faithfulness in the tent of David, one who judges and seeks justice and is swift to do righteousness. We'll, we'll mess, if, is this a messianic vision of Christ on the throne? I, don't, I'm, I mean, we could, we could talk about that, but, you know, God's going to establish judgment through his love, and there's going to be somebody sitting on a throne in judgment. Okay. It's an expression, his judgment is even an expression of his love. And his overlooking of our sin through Christ's blood is an expression of the love that he's going to, he's going to forego judgment on us because of that. What an expression of love that is. For God shows us his love in Romans in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We'll talk a little bit more about that later. The ultimate expression I was talking to Grady earlier about how do we think about all these storms that are coming, whether it's a storm of hurricanes, the storm of someone being sick, the storm of you name it, you know, and try to weigh that against Christ's sacrifice and the pain God felt, which I I don't know, you know, does God feel pain? I the sacrifice of God of Christ for our sins versus the challenges that the world throws at us. The scripture talks a lot about this. You know, so do we, we, we can't let Christ go down here while we worry about the storms of life up here. We've got to keep Christ up here and recognize God's sacrifice because God shows us his love that, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Packer says, so the love of God who is spirit is no fitful, fluctuating thing. You got to like these guys that wrote about 40 or 50 years ago because they use big words and uh, probably got high scores in their SAT English. But uh, so the love of God who is spirit is no fitful, fluctuating thing as human love is. I was reading that and I go, is that not spot on? That's just talking about this consistency of God's love. It's it's just like his power, it, it, is, it is undeniably consistent and steady and dependable and always there and will always be there for eternity no matter what we do. And we can share in that if we have a relationship with his son. It's, it's pretty cool. Nor is it a mere impotent longing for things that may never be. I just want things to be better. I just don't want to hurt anymore, I just don't want that to have happened. It is rather a spontaneous determination of God's whole being, God is love, in an attitude of benevolence and benefaction, an attitude freely chosen and firmly fixed. There are no inconsistencies of vicissitudes in the love of the almighty God who is spirit. There's no inconsistencies in how he delivers his love. There's no inconsistencies. It's free. It's firmly fixed. It's fixed on Christ on the cross. It's free. There's no cost to us. It's free. It's, it's just faith. It's just grace. And I, I had to go to Song of Solomon's here because when, when Packer's talking about this, he references these different verses and he's saying, look, even the way we read these scriptures sometimes gets messed up. But he says, things like many waters cannot quench love, neither can floods drown. He's saying nothing can come between God's love. It's just there's nothing that can, that can quench it. It's always there. It's a consistent highest level of God's power that we can, that we can recognize. So how do we express God's love? Um, I was trying to build up categories as I collected these things. It was interesting, at, at Communion in Lexington, um, I was sitting there with my phone with a note page because they were putting verses on the, on the wall during Communion as they were passing out. It was a pretty big church, a couple thousand folks, it was a satellite of a church with 6,000 people and there's like six satellites. So it's kind of like Highlands or whatever, but tons of people. But there was verses, and they all love verses, so I'm like taking down as fast as I can so, to get these. So. Um, but we've had this one before. I want to come back to the theme of the law. How do we express God's love? It's in the fruit. The fruit of the spirit is joy, love, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. But I added the rest of the verse there. Against such things, there is no law. You know, and Christ even said that. He said, "I came to fulfill the law." You know, there's. We try to reconcile that a lot of times. You know. Well, if Christ came to fulfill the law and the law was not def- it, gets, it gets challenging. There was nothing deficient in God's law. There was a deficiency in, in us in, in our even the chosen people of God, the ones, the Israelites, the people he chose to be His people, were deficient in their ability to follow the law. And you read about it, I mean, if you read Kings or Chronicles or any of those books, up and down, up and down, up and down, that's just like us. But he says, when you have the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, the law is okay. You, you can deal with that. You can deal with it because you can deal with it through Christ. First Timothy 1, 3 through 5, as I urged you when you went into Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus so that you may... Command certain people not to teach false doctrines no longer or to devote themselves to myth or angelic geologies. Such things promote controversial speculations rather than advancing God's work, which is by faith. The goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Paul loves to write these lists out. And they're challenging because some of the lists tell us, you know, don't, don't jive with modern times sometimes. So but think about this. Such things pr- promote controversial speculations rather than advancing God's work which is by faith. Faith is a relationship with God and the gold of this command is love. He's telling you these things because he wants Timothy to love people with a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. That's, I mean, the lists are fine, and they're important, and they're God's word, and we learned that from the, the, the preaching in the past. It's God's word. But the goal of the command is love. God is love. 2 Timothy 1.7, For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. that old self-discipline again and power we have power through Christ and God's spirit sometimes we even, fall, even as believers we fall short there I threw this one in there for CJ because there's no better picture of love here he will tend his flock like a shepherd he will gather the lambs in his arms he will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young amen You know, if it's not expressed that God is loving you at the time, it's expressed in multitudes of actions. You know, there's a verse in the Bible, and somebody knows where it is, not me, but it says, and I didn't even write down all the things that happened. Um, Think about all the things that happened. Think about the way Christ loved people. Think about this shepherd that we have leading us, embracing the lambs and walking through the the fields of danger like C.J. preached on the other day. The good shepherd, always willing to sacrifice, always willing to do whatever it takes to get that sheep out of that hole and and take us along. That's love, because God is love. So how does God equip us to love? Love. Wayne says, Wayne Grudem says, we imitate this communicable attribute of God first by loving God in return and second, one, so we've got to love God, and second, by loving others in imitation of the way God loves them. All our obligations to, that's not go, God can be summarized in this. So Matthew 22 is, and he said to them, you shall love your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. First John four nineteen, we love because he first loved us, right? We teach that to kids all the time. We love because he first loved us. That's how he's equipping us. He loved us. Therefore, we can love him and love others. In 2 Timothy two twenty two, flee the evil desires of youth and purchase righteousness, faith, love, and peace. Along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. I'll come back to that later. By the way, I was, I was all over. I was a little NIV, a little ESV. So Grady's got, I got an ESV. <laughs> I'm an NIV man. Now. No, that's okay. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. He's calling out his disciples, he's calling out his followers. I desire that they also whom you've given to me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me. So the, the love of God is not only expressed to us, it's expressed within the Trinity too this constant swirling of love amongst the personages of the Trinity. You know, is it the glue that holds it together? I don't know. God knows. Something holds it together. God is love. We'll call it love. This one most, a lot of folks know. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God loved me and gave himself to me. If that doesn't equip you to love others, (coughs) knowing that Christ who lives in me, if that doesn't tell you what you need to know about being equipped to love others, then we need to think about it. I'm not going to read all of 2 Timothy 3, 10, 17, but this is a verse. These are verses that have been foundational. I think was it was one of the first things you preached about, Grady. I couldn't remember. If, if it wasn't you, it was somebody else. But <laughs> you, however, know all my teachings, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, and sufferings. Okay. Paul's doing those lists again. Timothy, you know me. You've been around me. You know how I live. You know why I live, you know my faith, you know my patience with people, you know how I love, you know how long I've persevered, I've endured persecutions and sufferings. Ding, 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 ding. And then he says the last couple verses, and read the whole thing when you get a chance, of course. But uh, he, he tells Timothy that one strong statement about scripture being God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And I just add that in there because if we talk about being equipped for sharing God's love, then we sure have a lot of equipment in the word. I'm going to go through these pretty quick. Uh, the next love, God love protects us and saves us for our sins. Because you all have been waiting for these verses because it's, uh, you know. But I found this one in Isaiah, and it, it really talks about this this idea of God's love rescuing us. Okay, you know, we talk about love and salvation being a a New Testament kind of thing. Well, here's what Isaiah said. Behold, it was for my welfare that I had great bitterness, but in love you have delivered my life from the pit of destruction, for you have cast all my sins behind your back. Is that not an incredible picture of what's coming being foretold through Christ's sacrifice on the cross? If our sin life is not the pit of destruction, then we need to reevaluate what our sin is. Because it sure is a path to destruction, and the Bible talks about that too. But, you know, think about it. You know, sin is not a good thing. But because you have cast all my sins, and we could talk about these verses in Isaiah a long time, but they're behind my back. Because for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, That whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Because God so loved the world. God is love. His actions are love. He loved the world so much that he sent his son and gave us eternal life. Packard says God's love is an exercise of his goodness towards individual sinners. Isn't that cool? Whereby having identified himself with their welfare... He has given his son to be their savior and now brings them to know and enjoy him in covenant relationship. To know and enjoy. Wow. That's a loving relationship. I want to know God and enjoy him. I want to be joyful. I want to be just incredibly blessed by his love. And then talk about sharing God's love in an active way. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second of these, love your neighbor as yourself. There are no commandments greater than these. Is this a theme of the scripture? Yes, I think so. Galatians, for you were called to freedom, brothers. Not only do you use your freedom as an opportunity, excuse me, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for flesh, but through love, God is love. Love is the relationship that God calls to him, faithful relationship in God. Through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. If you also, but if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Romans, love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is fulfilling the law. There goes that theme of the law again. It's not the sacrifice. It's the love. The sacrifices were symbols of God's love. Okay? Okay? The sacrifice of Christ is fulfilling the law through love. John three thirty five. By this all people will know you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And we see that within our fellowship, within our faith, within our challenges, within our relationships, marriages, how we feel about what's going on in Texas and Florida, you know. Does it tug your heartstrings or is this something that you set aside? Romans 5, 5, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love is poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. This relationship of the Trinity to God's love and the relationship of the power of the Holy Spirit because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. This gift of God's, God's love's given to us. The Holy Spirit's given to us. Christ leaves and the Holy Spirit comes to us. (laughs) This one I thought was pretty cool. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. So we'll start on that next week, okay? (laughs) But, you know, what does that mean? It's not a contest. Showing love is not a contest, it's not meant to be a contest. But Paul's kind of challenging us to say, I think part of it's based on his personal relationship with God. <laughs> you know, outdoing, he, I think he had this challenge because of his past, whatever was in his heart, and however God threw down on him about going out to the Gentiles, you know. It was nothing for Paul to say, outdo one another in love. Because he was, I think he was challenging himself. I think his whole life that was his challenge through the Holy Spirit to try to try to get out there, you know. So it was for him to say that, you know, outdo one another in showing honor. You know, show that love, show that honor. In John 15, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. If you are my friend, you are my friends if you do what I command you. And I was a, (laughs) not many of you know this, but I was a, a rescue pilot for 25 years. And flew helicopters, and our motto is that these things we do that others may live, and that was our that was our goal. We we were specifically a group that was, our we would go get you, at the cost to us didn't matter. Okay, we would fly our helicopters into whatever storm, whatever combat, whatever we would go in to get you. That was our contract with you, and it's a, it's a, a very interesting and weird group, as my wife <laughs> has to. But, I mean, that, that was, uh, was kind of what we, what we signed up for, you know. And if you think about, I watch the, the pilots, um, uh, the Coast Guardsmen and, and the Air Force people do these rescues, and they're going to be doing a lot more in Florida. And I watch them, and I wish I could be there. I don't often say that, but, uh, um, you know, think about this idea of laying down your life. You know, of course we think about Christ doing that. What about the mom who makes a sacrifice for their child? What about the father that works two jobs? What about the person that answers God call, God's call and takes their kids off to Cameroon like a friend of ours? And now the kids just can't stand leaving when they have to go to college after 15 years. I mean, think about that, how God honors that, you know. And maybe sometimes the sacrifice is complete, and that's okay too. I mean, that's just the way God orchestrated it. And, and it's nothing greater than showing love, than making that sacrifice. And it's not just life. It's just light. It's just the things we do in life. And finally, I threw down some things about, as we close, I wanted to make sure I touched on this just for a moment, because love as a communicator, communicable attribute has contrasts. I don't want to dwell on this but I want it to be clear that when we talk about God's love that there's an opposite to it. We've talked about sin but it's not just sin it's the apparent actions of of hate that appear uh, in human relationships. I put down Cain slew Abel, you know Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and they went into the field, he rose up against him and killed him. We could talk about a million ways people hate each other. It is so, so against God's vision of love. And God talks about it. I brought up this Timothy verse, again, flee youthful passions to pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace among those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Pure heart. You can't have a pure heart unless Christ is there to Pure it up for you. And think about fleeing those youthful passions. For those of us who are a little older, we pretty much know what those are. If you'd like a list, meet and we'll talk. <laughs> but we all have got them. And there's even, even, the, even the best of us have got them. But uh, most of us weren't the best. But I, I close uh, this with this second Timothy verse. It says uh, 3, 1 through 5. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For peoples will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of God godliness, but denying its power. Of course, he says, avoid such people. I sometimes take that part off. But, uh, you know, I just throw that out there to show the contrast. Okay, because God is love. So here's your questions. Many of God's attributes appear similar. Uh, I just went nuts with the question, so you, good luck. Uh, many of God's attributes appear similar. How do you see these working in unity? How can knowledge of God's attributes strengthen your Fellowship of God, and how can knowledge of God's attributes strengthen our fellowship and church? So that's three questions for the first one. Okay, God so loved the world to send His Son. How do we see God's love expressed through the life of Christ? That's that's the whole scripture. So you know. <laughs> you don't have to write it all down. How do we express God's love since it's a communicable attribute? What are the biggest obstacles to expressing love of God in our lives? How can you decide? This is right out of um, Packard. I stole this one from one of his questions. Can you decide to love someone and then act, or does God call upon us to act spontaneously in love? I thought that was a really good question. Okay, read Mark 12, 30 through 31. Christ asks us to love your neighbor as yourself. How do we do this? And then, why is it easier sometimes to see hate than to see love? And of course, what songs? you know, that express God's love. And we're going to divide up into groups. Um, CJ up here. Greg, you have a group, right? No. Yes. Okay. Greg over here. Um <laughs>